Good morning, goddesses. This is Shannon, and I'm your host, and this is the Goddess Morning Show podcast, where you can tune in every morning for a 20-minute episode to start your day with updates on things that matter to a community of awake and conscious individuals who seek the divine feminine in all we do. We sift through all of the copious amounts of information on the internet to bring you news and information on the things that matter. Tune in to hear about environmental news and book releases, interviews with thought leaders influencing the awakening of humanity, the moon phases, planetary positions, crystals, herbal and holistic health, guidance on green living, just to name a few. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to now. Be blessed. Namaste. Good morning, goddesses. This is Shannon, and you're listening to the Goddess Morning Show. Today is Thursday, January 23rd of 2020, and we are starting the day outright with a look at the news that matters most to us as a community. First, we have our herb for the day, which is brought to us from lifehack.org, and the herb is ginseng. Ginseng root has been tested in a number of studies for its effectiveness at fighting fatigue with significant results. Ginseng can be found in a number of products, including natural energy drinks, Through, though as with all energy drinks, these should be used with caution. You can also get ginseng in cap- capsule form, often grouped with other herb and vitamin capsules at regular grocery stores, as well as health food and supplement stores. Next, we have an article titled, Spain has declared a climate emergency. What exactly does this mean? By Chris Young, dated January 22nd of 2020. This week, Spain's newly formed government has officially declared a national climate emergency on Tuesday. That makes it the 26th country in the world to have announced a climate emergency. We take a look at what exactly this means for the country and what will change for its citizens. The official statement approved by the cabinet in Spain says the country's government will send a climate legislation proposal aimed at tackling the climate crisis to parliament within 100 days. As AP News reports, the targets Spain are aiming for in their new legislation largely coincide with those of the European Union. Okay, so moving on. We have our crystal news for the day, and the crystal, the article that we're discussing is, do crystals help with pregnancy nausea? Here's what you need to know by Ashley Jones, dated January 22nd of 2020. Crystals are being used for nausea during pregnancy. As for which crystals might help moms with pregnancy nausea, Nancy O'Malley, founder of InJewels, says that this answer will vary greatly depending on who you ask. Ask 10 people and you will receive 10 different recommendations. Since hormones carry the responsibility for pregnancy-related nausea, I prefer crystals that address the sacral chakra for this, since this chakra is closest to the adrenal glands. While O'Malley prefers carnelian or orange calcite for healing properties such as raising energy levels and balancing hormones, Among other benefits, some women might be drawn to crystals with different properties. 
Lori Bregman, a doula, life coach, and healer well-versed in crystals, says that yellow jasper helps strengthen the immune system and relieves nausea and indigestion, which can help immensely when dealing with pre pregnancy nausea. Golden Appetite is my go-to for pregnancy nausea. I also suggest working with Moonstone, Criscola, and Unikite for nausea, morning sickness, and dizziness. Minkst tells Romper. You can use one of these or a combination of them, and Ruby is also a wonderful ally during pregnancy. I rubbed Ruby and Kyanite on my belly during my labor in my fourth child, and it was so calming and soothing, she reports. Okay, so moving on. Uh, and that's really new to me. I had never heard of the, the crystals being used for pregnancy nausea. I was so sick with my, with my children. I really wish that I had known that. And my uh, daughter also had terrible, terrible nausea. And just, I wish that she's already out of it now. So I really wish I had read that article earlier. <laughs> so anyway. For our health information, we have What is Golden Milk and Why Should You Drink It? from Conscious Life Magazine. And uh, the article is by Dr. Mercola. It says, What is golden milk? It's not actually milk at all, at least not in the dairy sense. The basis of golden milk is a combination of the warming turmeric spice along with coconut milk and or coconut oil. Turmeric is well known for its use in curry dishes, but it's earning a name for itself as a potent medicinal food. Turmeric's benefits have since been well documented in the me medical literature, and curcumin, one of the most studied bioactive ingredients in turmeric, has been found to promote health and protect against a wide variety of health conditions. It actually exhibits over 150 potentially therapeutic activities, including anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial activity, as well as potent anti-cancer properties that have been intensely studied. Okay, so today we are talking about meditation from an article entitled Five Common Myths About Meditation Debunked by Kate Hurley on January 22nd of this year. And it says, the first myth that needs to be debunked is that you must sit completely upright in order for meditation to work. And she goes on to explain that if someone saw her meditating, they'd think she was taking a nap, not training her attention. But truth is, relaxing in a comfortable posture is perfectly fine. Just keep in mind that you'll likely have an easier time staying awake if you stay in an upright and alert seated position. Okay, the second myth to be debunked is the goal of meditation is to empty the mind and clear it of thoughts. And that's totally what I thought when I thought about meditation as well. But it says here, people often tell me that they're likely failing because they're not able to turn their mind off and stop thoughts from happening. Truth is, there's nothing wrong with thinking. The mind thinks what, just like the heart beats. Thoughts will never permanently stop happening. There may be moments when you 
earth thought free, but that's not the ultimate goal. When a thought drifts in during meditation, it provides a chance to cultivate skills to work with energies of thinking. Without pulling the thought in or pushing it away, your job is simply notice its existence. Observe the thought and stay present without any judgments on that thought. Then gently guide your attention back to your point of focus. That might be your breath, a mantra, or whatever guided meditation you're listening to. It says meditation teaches us that we can reorient our attention, letting it rest on other aspects of our experience. As we learn to do this, the momentum of the thinking mind can begin to slow. That's really um, interesting. I had never heard that, so I was glad to read that. The third myth is it's important that environment is completely quiet when you practice. And it says that while she prefers to meditate somewhere quiet, silence isn't always a realistic expectation. Hearing sounds can sometimes feel like a distraction, but they're also an opportunity to increase awareness and build more mental strength. When your attention gets swept up in hearing, just let the sounds be a part of your practice. Notice, notice the sounds, then gently guide your attention back to your point of focus. More importantly, notice the impulse of wanting things to be arising. I'm sorry, wanting things to be different. The problem isn't that sounds are arising, rather the problem occurs when we expect our environment and experience to look a certain way. That's true. I mean, if you think about it, the more agitated you get with the fact that you're thinking or that it's not quiet, the more you're incapable of focusing. So uh, the fourth myth is the goal of meditation is to feel calm. And she goes on to say that as we learn to reorient attention away from active thinking, there's often a corresponding de-escalation of the nervous system which in, fact, in effect feels good and nourishing for the body. However, it's not an end game goal of meditation, rather being fully present with what's unfolding in order to use your energy skillfully is more important. And the last myth is that meditation can interfere with religion. Some people are apprehensive to try meditation because they're worried it interferes with their faith. It actually though, Many find that the practice deepens and enhances their connection to whatever belief system they subscribe. Okay. Now, in January, on January 20th of 2020, an article by Victoria Morehouse says that kundalini yoga might be helpful in managing your back pain. At least that's what Dr. Sherry Dewan, MD, a board-certified neurosurgeon at Northwestern Medicine Central DuPage Hospital believes. She specifically recommends this type of yoga practice for a healthier spine and for certain patients dealing with back pain. I had not heard this, not at all. I deal with chronic back pain myself and I do kundalini yoga, but I had no idea that it was helpful for this condition. And it says, while kundalini yoga might be less discussed than say vinyasa yoga it's been in practice for thousands of years it's defined as a practice that activates energy stored at the base of the spine 
through breathing exercises, poses, chanting, as well as meditation. Many people associate kundalini yoga with the back because it's believed that kundalini, the divine feminine energy that leads to spiritual awakening and that many yogis aspire to activate, lives at the base of the spine in the shape of a coiled serpent. And um, she adds that the chakras or energy centers in the body are aligned along the spine from the crown of the head to the base of the spine. And so, I mean, I had, I knew all of that, but I didn't know that it could help with chronic back pain, but <clears throat> it doesn't surprise me that I didn't know that. So anyway, our sustainable news is from an article, personal sustainability goals can have a larger impact than you think by Tabani Yoon on January 20, January 1st, 2020, it says, True facts. None of us are Captain Planet. We don't have the power to fly around, sweep up air pollutants into a whirlwind, and then turn them into clean oxygen. As regular folks, we can only take the time to set personal sustainability goals, sort our recyclables, avoid single-use plastics, and adjust our purchasing behavior. It's not as glamorous as superhero powers, but it's what we have to work with. So, our endeavors still leave a major question hanging in the air. Do our personal efforts really help slow down the accelerating effects of climate change? The question has come up many times on social media and from critics who believe policymakers are passing the responsibility off on average citizens. They say people with legislative power have a greater ability to make a big change in corporate behavior and can address the issue better. Instead of placing the burden on some concerned individuals, the pressure should be on industries and regulators. So which is it? And Brent Bell, Vice President of Recycling at Waste Management, says we need both. And it says, um, it takes two to tango. As the saying goes, and it's true with sustainability as well, both personal efforts and policies are necessary. Individual behavior plays a critical role in driving change, but policies are important to facilitate those behaviors. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. Okay, so there's a new company out there using holistic methods to heal, and I thought this article was really interesting. It's called Good Witch, and they brew up health-conscious plant medicine for the artistically inclined. And this article was written by Lindsay Meharry at Mary Jane on December 17th of last year. It says, elsewhere we've seen the rise of several health and wellness trends from the ever-present hype around CBD and the recent strides in medicinal psychedelics reform to an endless myriad of meditation apps and even the popularity of Peloton. While the future of institutional healthcare doesn't look optimistic, it's clear that Americans, especially young Americans, are looking for nuanced, non-traditional ways to approach the concepts of medicine, healing, and self-care. At the forefront of a budding movement that combines plant medicine with alternative healing therapies is Goodwitch. In 2012, Remy, who asked that her last name be redacted, 
was suffering from chronic pain and a swath of other ailments while she also lacked health insurance. The artist created Goodwitch with the aim of establishing an interdisciplinary community that incorporates plant medicine, art installations and performances, and events focused on establishing a new language around healing. The brand also offers products such as a flying ointment that includes full-spectrum CBD and other medicinal herbs. That's interesting. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to really butcher this name, but it's Hamali Singh Soin wrote on December 12th of last year that there are five Indian goddesses every woman should know. And the first one is Parvati, goddess of fertility. It says she has masculine energy with her husband, Shiva. And um, she um, it says Shiva, the bluish colored god who looks like an Indian Medusa with a pile of snakes coiled on top of his head is often depicted by a linogram. I'm sorry, a lingam or penis while Parvati is represented by, by the Yoni. Together, their union gave birth to the half-man, half-elephant Ganesh, the god of wisdom. Parvati is depicted fair, bare-breasted, and dancing, the final and emancipated incarnation of goddesses before her that suffered miserable fates in the face of men. Parvati is also the daughter of of the mountains, elusive as the antelope and changing as the moon. She is that lumber girl that gets down in the bushes and afterwards grabs your underwear and runs. <laughs> that was so funny. Okay, so the second goddess is Kali, goddess of time, meaning both black and time. She is the fiercest of them all. She is the most misunderstood goddess who kills every demon with her 18 arms and has raging temper with her swords and daggers. She can create and destroy with her might and often needs help harnessing her intensity. Kali is the colored woman who is doubly oppressed, but her subtlety lies in the fact that she is not simply a destroyer. She is instead the triumph over death. The woman that has her self-defenses down. She is the woman who knows that she's got to survive in order to win the battle. And also it says she symbolizes the not only... Um, oh, it says that she... That many people believe at a spiritual level she does not symbolize the void though but rather the eternal darkness that surrounds us and into which we meditate. She is the violence that can be softened, the hardness that can be viewed as fear and respected. She is in a way the goddess of loss, accumulating power by slaying it. That's one of my favorite goddesses. That's awesome. And the third goddess that it talks about everyone should know is Saraswati, the goddess of knowledge. And we talked about her on an earlier episode. So I'm going to go on to the fourth goddess, Green Tara, the female Buddha. At some point in Tara's long and incessant path towards enlightenment, she was advised to pray to be reborn as a male so she could attain her goal. 
The very stubborn tantric deity refused. Instead, she pledged to be born as a woman in every one of her 10,000 or so reincarnations. Tara is the goddess that transforms the mundane experience of two bodies in pleasure into a heightened experience of total transcendence. In other words, she is ace at converting your taxes into a life's balance sheet. <laughs> okay, but here's her ultimate strength. She doesn't take her path terribly seriously. She, she's full of clay. She does yoga in the morning, masturbates and gets on with her day. <laughs> in the evening with whatever gender her partner may be, she elicits a multiple or orgasm. Whether she does it with a temporary lover or a long-time love, she is independent without being selfish, and she laughs a lot. I think we could all take that to heart. Okay, and the last goddess is Aditi, the goddess of limitlessness. Aditi means light, is a cosmic mother. She is the goddess of the 12 astrological signs and is associated with the infinite space, both of the sky and the soul. She flies through the clouds on a rooster. She is in the past, present, and future collapse into one. She is the first element, the origin of everything, the creator of the earth. She is not the source of light of the stars or the sun or the moon, but the eternal luminosity that sustains this light. Aditi is the pregnant girl at Burning Man wearing blue topaz and sipping Tulsi tea. She makes infinity signs with her bicycle and makes the central labyrinth around which the whole town gathers at night. If you're fighting for free speech, vegetarianism, or children's rights, pray for pray to her. Okay, and then lastly, we have the moon and planets for today. And the moon is in waning crescent at 1% in Capricorn. Mercury is in Aquarius, Venus is in Pisces, Mars in Sagittarius, Jupiter in Capricorn, Saturn in Capricorn, Uranus is in Taurus, Neptune in Pisces, Pluto in Capricorn, and Chiron in Aries. And that wraps up our episode for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please like, subscribe, and share if you liked this episode. And leave a comment or review on whatever platform you're listening to now. Have a blessed day. Namaste.